I'm going to begin by just kind of sharing that I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed. Um, I'm a little overwhelmed uh, because, like, it's, it, is, it is, does something to the soul to come in on a Sunday morning after a student retreat and to witness students serving and leading. Amen? Does it not do something to you, adults? Like, it does something to the soul to watch the, the heart of the student pastor be exposed on stage in front of others to where he's trying to compose himself because he's so overwhelmed by the love of Christ and the impact it's having on the students. And, uh, and come here, man, real quick. Come on up here. I want, I want to show, like, I'm sitting in the back and I'm looking at this shirt and I can't help but look at the word of this shirt and the way that our students have been drugged away for a weekend to be confronted with Jesus and the power of his spirit and the way he moves in us having on us as a church and as adults. And I used to interview, thank you, buddy. (laughs) Thank you. I used to be a student pastor, and one of my interview questions for any, anyone who wanted to volunteer in student ministry was this. I can train your hands and feet to do what I need them to do, but I cannot teach heart. I can never teach you to love students. I am grateful that this church loves students, but I'm really grateful that their leader loves students. Will you thank Brian and Eric for what they're doing? And, um, and further, I, Brian doesn't realize he's made an impact on me this week, um, actually two weeks ago. He and I were chatting about some things. We were chatting about an opportunity to, for me to come alongside and help serve, and he had handed me a passage that he's been looking at, and, and I had a plan for this uh, passage, for this message, and I'd been working that plan for weeks as we get into today's sermon. As I have been praying over this sermon, I got into the passage that Brian directed me to. He didn't even know that. And I, I have been finding myself going back to that passage repeatedly over the course of the past two weeks, so much so that as I'm reading it, I can't lift my eyes from the page without weeping. And so I want to tell you that this morning is going to be a, a little different, not because I want it to. Uh, in fact, I don't want it to. I had a plan. And I got to be honest, like sometimes when you read scripture, you recognize your plans are better than Jesus are, you know, like I look at Jericho and I go, I'm pretty sure I had a better plan. You know, um, I look at David in the sling facing a giant and I go, I could come up with a better plan than that. You know, I look at through story after story, Gideon taking bumbling 300 to measure a countless army. And I think I can come up with a better plan than that. But this morning, in James two nineteen, it says that even the demons believe and they shudder. And I, I am at a place where I don't know what's about to take place. My plan's out the window and I'm kind of like just going, Jesus, do what you do because 
I don't like sometimes having to act and respond in obedience without the plan. I'm comfortable in my plan. I like my plan. But when you go, gloves are off, I'm going to do what I need to do, you just go, God, you're God. And I want to shudder at whatever it is you're doing because I'm more than just believing on you. I want to be like you. I want to be a disciple of you. I want to be obedient to you. I don't want to just believe on you. In Philippians 2, it begins with this question. It says, if Christ has made a difference in you at all, then. There's a statement that's made in that, and I'll get to that passage in a moment. But like, if Jesus has made any difference at all, then. And that's kind of the sentiment that I want to begin with this morning. How many of you have ever been hurt? Raise your hands. How many of you um, have ever like held a grudge? And, and how many of you know that Jesus can remove that? Um, I'm going to start with this uh, picture. It's a picture that my kids and I had while we were sitting um, on Saturday night just a few weeks ago. We were having our Sabbath. Um, we had come together at dinner time to feast over what the Lord had said that day to each of us. Like right now, what we're doing in the practice of our own Sabbath is on Friday night, we kind of light a candle. We'll get around. It's our pizza movie night, but around pizza and a candle, we just kind of talk about like, um, we kind of talk about what our week looked like. And then on Saturday, from sundown to sundown, we kind of treat that as his time and each of my kids know they have to have an hour in scripture where they spend time with the Lord and then they come together that evening and we'll, we'll kind of cook together and we sit around the table and we talk about what God said to them and that night they didn't know it I mean like my nine-year-old she just kind of like reads what she read she won't like give a whole lot of she's like I just kind of read this today and it was amazing to witness like every single thing that came out of their own individual time with God was specific to something that they are individually struggling with. Like I, they couldn't even catch it, but I was able to point that out to them. And they said, so daddy, what is God teaching you? And I said, God is teaching me that the closer I get to recognizing who Jesus is and how selfless he was, I'm painfully aware of how selfish I am. And so it's with that thought, I want to pray and kind of give us an image, okay? Before I pray, I want to tell you in the vein that I'm praying. How many of you realize, how many of you remember the, how many of us saw the uh, Passion of the Christ? There was a famous scene in that passage, in that movie. It was the scourging scene. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was beaten 39 times with the cat of nine tails, a leather whip that has nine leather fingers that on the end of which have hooks that do not slap, but when they hit, they grab. My kids were like asking about that. And I said, what you need to imagine is Jesus' flesh being ripped off of his body. 
and his entire body being an open wound to the point where like there's not a lot of flesh right here. You could probably see his exposed rib cage and through blood you saw a white bone. They said, well, show us a picture of that. Show us an artist's rendering. I was like, there's no contemporary artist that's probably captured the mutilation of Jesus. And here's what I want you to understand. When he came out of there, he didn't stop. It says he didn't have his life taken. He willingly gave his life. They asked him to carry a 300-plus pound cross that was splintering. Remember, we don't sing about the, like, old varnished lacquered cross, right? We sing about the what? The old rugged cross where he picks up this 300-plus-pound object that will be his, his electric chair, and it, with it splintering over his shoulder as it pours into all those places of wound, those open sores splintering. And then it says that he stumbles, and Simon comes to try to pick that up for him. I believe that at this point, if I'm honest, I would have been like, okay, here's enough. I can't do any more. This is where I stop. Anyone else agree? Like after the scourging and you witness Jesus' flesh ripped from his body and the open sores that that left being splintered into, not even the crown of thorns, we're talking like the flesh pierced by these splintering wood, like he stumbles, he's like, okay, it's too heavy. I think, I know Jesus had the ability to that moment go, and everyone breathing falls dead. But he didn't do it. He willingly goes through with the entire process and on the cross yells out, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. The very people who less than a year ago couldn't speak until he opened the vocal cords were turning and using those vocal cords to yell things like crucify him you see i'm pretty selfish because i still when that when that happens to me i hold a grudge when that happens to me i don't willingly give my life for that person when i when that happens to me i, I have a tendency to feel bitter about it and hurt Am I alone? So if the love of Christ has done anything in any of us, then. Father, this morning, I pray that you would have your way. And I pray that we would stop asking um, whether we like a service or not. I pray that you'd forgive me for all the times that I've asked that question. I pray that we'd begin to ask the question, did you like our gathering? Did you like our service? Did, were you pleased as you came in by the power of your spirit? Were you smiling as we left because you saw your people obedient? I pray that you'd have your way with us. And um, I pray you'd do that right now, that you pursue us right now. If we came in and we were going to treat this as business as usual, God, I pray you'd stop that for us right now. And, uh, and we'd begin to look a little bit like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I... I feel like this invitation kind of um, goes like this. The spiritual disciplines exist that we might produce supernatural fruit so that Jesus might be seen in his church. But we have to recognize that where we've been for the past few weeks is an invitation. Like Jesus comes and says, I, I invite you to, to enter rest, into my rest, into Sabbath. I desire for you to have this. I made you in my image. I know exactly who you are. I know exactly how you are. I, I know what abundant life looks like for you. So I just, I pray, I want you to take my rest. Here it is. And 
And so often he's met in my life with resistance. So often I feel like my response is, yes, but you don't understand how busy I am. I see it and I see the value of it, but you don't recognize what I'm up against. And he turns and goes, okay, so like what, like I just wish that you would take the invitation to slow down. I I want you to seek me in the silence because I really have some important things to tell you that I dreamt about you before the foundation of the world. I knew exactly who you were. I know exactly what I want you to do. I just want to tell you about it, but I need you to slow down enough to hear it. I need you to seek me in the silence and seek me in the scriptures so I can reveal truth to you. I want you to come alongside and live simply in the way of me, but with me, not apart from me. I, I I want you to join me and I want to join you. I want to be in relationship with you. And I turn and it's almost as if I, but Jesus, you don't understand, like, um, you don't seem to get how busy I am. You don't seem to get what it's like to be up against deadlines. You don't seem to understand what it's like to have a boss that's terrible and doesn't understand how awesome you are. You don't seem to understand what it's like to serve people selflessly and they take advantage of you. You don't seem to understand what it's like to live in a world where we're constantly pushing forward by progress because we've exploded into the digital age. You just don't seem to understand that. And I feel like, I feel like Jesus turns and looks back at me almost dumbfounded and is like, I want to again invite you to read this book. I want you to recognize how many people were tugging at me in an overwhelming fashion and they turned and they were not grateful. I want you to recognize how born out of time I was. I want you to come and recognize that people didn't understand who I was in the midst and the time that I was teaching. I want you to understand all that I went through so that you understand what I'm asking you to go through. And I want you to understand the reason I'm asking you to do it is so that the world around you that is lost and hopeless can have hope. I want you to know that I was committed to the Father and I will give you the strength to be committed to the Father to the very end. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Anyone recognize that following Jesus is incredibly difficult? In fact, one of my, my favorite authors um, wrote a piece way back and he won the Pulitzer like in the 30s. And um, they asked him because it was such a moral piece, such an, a powerful piece. They said, so when did you become a Christian? He said, oh, I'm not a Christian. And they said, well, what do you mean? He goes, I'm, I'm not a Christian. He, Jesus Christ wrote three of the most like, powerful words I've ever heard. And they were like, oh, yeah, I love you. And he was like, no, no, we misuse those words all the time. It's not those words. He wrote, love your enemies. And I'm as a disciple of Jesus because I don't want to be expected to be held to that standard. And so this morning, it's with all that kind of thought, I want to enter this passage in Philippians 2 that I believe God has been just wrecking me with. In Philippians 2, it says it like this from the CSB. If then, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, United in the spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out, not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. And if I may, I want to reread that. I want to read it in the place that I've been reading it, and I keep finding myself um, 
weeping as I do. I want to read it from the hand of a man who did an amazing work, and, and I, I feel like we uh, don't give him enough credit. Um, Eugene Peterson just passed less than two weeks ago and went on to be with the Lord, and so I want to honor him today by reading from one of, one of his works. He paraphrased the Bible, and he paraphrased this passage, and he said it like this. If you've gotten anything out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care at all, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other and be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. And I, in that passage gives our points for the day. It's really one point. Here it is. If Christ has made a difference in you at all, then agree with one another and lift others' needs above yourself. I'm going to break them down in three ways. But if Christ has made a difference at all, James 2.19 says this, Even the demons believe and they shudder. What that's saying is this, that if even... ...darkness, and they shudder at his very name, then the people who claim him should also shudder. It should cause them to move to a place of obedience. It should be more than just a mental acknowledgement. It should be more than just being cognizant. It should be more than just like... whatever we want. Does that make sense? If Jesus himself said the spiritual disciplines are imperative for your life abundant and the forefathers of those that cannot continue to return to our comfortable existences, finding our own value in status or in our stuff one can serve two masters. He'll either one and love it and despise the other or vice versa, but you can only serve And so I believe that what he's asking for us to do here is to recognize that Jesus and knew a ton about God. Ananias and Sapphira uh, is an example. Um, I'd say the rich young ruler but were unwilling. They were unwilling because of it. their comfortable status and their stuff and they willingly decided in essence that I know what you want. This decision to never change and do things my way. But then the Bible is also, also full of stories. Places that we've been looking for a while now with Abraham and David, Gideon, Hosea, of people who risked everything in an effort to love God with all, with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their strength. They put it into the places that might have been terrifying. Because change requires the discipline we're talking about today. And that's this, sacrifice. 
Jesus said, you cannot otherwise be my disciple unless your daily love me above all else and crucify your flesh to follow me. You've got to have the, your love for all those around you seem like hatred compared to your love for me. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And here's the thing. After Jesus said it, Jesus was not a good church planter. I said, I believe that we can probably come up with far better plans, you, myself, than maybe Jesus did, but then we'd miss out on the super... This, that if you want to be my disciple, and this is the thing that excites me most about the church, because the mission statement of the church is not that we would do whatever it takes to make believers... Whatever it takes to make disciples, those who are disciples who are obedient to follow. Because when he turns and he looks at his own 12 who are still standing there after thousands leave, he looks and he says, aren't you going to leave too? This is your opportunity. Walk. And Peter goes, where? And as Paul's writing right here to a church that has potential change, a potential, a potential, uh, split and they've parted ways. They've had a disagreement. They've split ways and they're gathering those around them who want to believe with them. How many of you ever had a fight with someone and you have a tendency to rally the troops? You don't want them to be on their side. You want to be on your side. You know what I'm saying? And you seemingly kind of build a discord against whoever that person is. And Paul sees this, hears of it, and he says, no, we're not going to do that. That's not why we're here. We need to protect what we have here, not allow division, not allow the enemy to do the one thing he's trying to do in the church of Jesus, and that's divide it. And let me be clear, it's a little embarrassing today when we look around and we have so many different denominations, divisions, sects, just because of interpretation. We had church planting explosions take place all over the South, and I'm going to tell you, I don't believe it's because God called every one of those. I believe it's because we couldn't agree with one another. I believe it's because we had to be the boss. I believe because we were selfish. I'm not trying to judge, but I know who I am. And Jesus says, if I've made a difference in your life whatsoever, then agree with you. Uh, Point two, that you should come and with your brother expose a love to the world that could only come from me and I want the world that is dying and hopeless and knows selfishness very well because they are selfish. They, I want them to see someone who lifts the needs of others around them. I want them to see a brother who would lift another brother, a sister who would love another sister more than themselves. They'd take the back seat so that their brother or sister could move forward. That's what I desire to see. Because here's the thing. I've been in church ministry now for over 20 years, and I've read the books. I know a lot of strategies for church. So they might know 
that we are of one heart and that the church is in one mind with us. My desire is that the world might believe you and in fact you sent me by the love the church has for each other. Jesus' church strategy and growth strategy within the church was unity. This is Jesus' This is Jesus' strategy. In the Bible, they're like, oh, the Bible didn't say anything about church growth. Yes, it does. Jesus' red-letter words to his church was love each other and get over yourselves. The world can have hope because you're bigger, you're bigger than just fighting in your sandbox for your way. You've trusted I've done more than just have you become the Minosaur. Which I read, I love that book. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I read that book to my daughter. She's like, I love this book. I was like, I know you do, girl. Love <laughs> for one another. And if my love has done anything in you, if you care, if you have a heart at all, agree with one another and put others' needs above yourself. Number three, put others' needs above yourself. And second, I want to, I want to read in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, uh, again from the... Listen to this. We've been teaching this since VBS. He had equal status with God but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no more or no matter what. Not at all. In fact, when the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity or of being God and took on the status of a slave and became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at all, crucifixion. But, I want to read on to verse 9. It says, Because of that obedience, God lifted him up and honored him far beyond anyone, anything, ever. So that all created things, both on heaven and earth, even those long dead and buried, will bow and worship in the name of Jesus and call out and praise that he is the master of all. Glorious honor of God the Father will be given through him. Jesus is never going to call us to do anything that he himself didn't do, and he's never going to call us to do that which he won't empower us to do. This is impossible in our flesh. How many of you recognize that you're selfish? Hands raised. How many of you recognize lifting others' needs above yourself and praying the way Jesus did for your enemies is impossible in your flesh? Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who hate you. Like in this way, like bless those who curse you, love those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and intentionally try to get one over on you. I cannot do that. That's where I stop. That's where I, do you hear me? But this is where this power of God in my submission to Jesus and his way and the whole power of the Holy Spirit then dwells me, kicks in and gives me an ability to do what I cannot do on my own. It gives me the ability to go the extra mile. It gives me the ability to turn the other cheek. It gives me the ability to show the world that's without hope what it means to hope in Jesus. Do you know what my natural tendency is? You, let, me, let me just confess. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, tell in myself. Here it is. In Luke 20. Verse 45, while all the peoples were listening, he said to the disciples, beware of the scribes 
who want to go around in log robes. <laughs> who love greetings in the marketplaces. They love the best seats in the synagogues. The places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses. Say long prayers just for show. These will receive even harsher judgment. Hey, look, I, I'll be clear. Anybody else here want to be honored and remembered? Anyone else want to give your life for something and hopefully not be forgotten? <laughs> Maybe it's just my confession. But that's my flesh. And that's what God is calling me to give up. And that's why this is so hard. And here it is in verse 21. It says, he looked up and he saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. And then he saw a poor widow drop in two tiny coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, has put in all that she had to live on. Out of, their, out of their prosperity, they gave. Out of the overflow, they gave back to God that which he gave to them. They honored God with a little pat on the back and said, okay, thanks for all the stuff, here you go. But out of her poverty, the widow goes, I have nothing apart from you. I have no peace. You're the only place that I find sustainability. Your words have life. To where else can I go? I only have two coins. I know this can buy bread. I know this can buy water for me, but I don't want to live by bread and water alone, but by every word that professes from your mouth. Take my coins and do whatever you can with them. And guess what? Whose offering did Jesus see and point out to others? Hers. Hers. Why? Because she gave out of her poverty, not her prosperity. She wasn't giving Jesus the leftovers. She was giving her all. And this morning, you may say, okay, Justin, I hear that. I hear that. How do I do it? I believe believe that we can start by fasting. I believe that we can start in places that are disciplined. And so let me just kind of explain what I mean by that. Practically, man cannot live by bread and water alone, but by every word that professed from the mouth of God. We have to begin by denying our routine. How many of you have a routine? How many of you are comfortable in your routine? How many of you, your routine, how many of you have a superstitious tendency? This is, just be honest. It's okay. I do. Like, honestly, I have a, a tendency to believe. I confess this to my wife. Like, if I stand while the Florida Gators are playing, they may not be terrible. <laughs> but if I sit down on my couch and relax it, they're going to do what they did yesterday. By denying your personal routine, by denying your flesh, declutter your life by making room for God to speak and fill the places that are normally reserved for your comfort. And one of the places that we, we as Americans have come to, and I'm one of them, I don't, I don't eat to live, I live to eat. Amen? Any, any foodies here? Okay. This is a simple and practical way to take a step towards the Lord by prioritizing Him, turning our own way from our heart, soul, mind. 
but turning our heart, soul, mind to his, tuning our ears to him to listen. And I'm not saying that it's, if you've never practiced fasting, here's what I want to encourage you. Start small. Take a lunch during your week. Take that and give that to God. Take a bottled water to help with the hunger pains because you've trained yourself to eat at a certain hour. How many of you know that? You feel the grumble around 11 a.m., 11.30, and you're like, oh, time to eat. You've trained yourself. What if you could retrain your mind and heart to be more sustained and more, uh, more needing of what God has to say to you than you do eating at the cool new restaurant or even grabbing a, a quick bite that you made out of the peanut butter and jelly you had at home? Whatever it is. What if you just, what if you just took one hour for the week and just gave that to the Lord and said, I just want to... You begin to create a space where you declutter your lives. What if you took this and you, you sacrificed in such a way that you, you kind of aligned your life with His? Have we aligned our lives with His? Have we... Are we... Find for yourself a need to fast and make a step like this one, a practical, like giving up one lunch a week. If you can't, you're like, I just can't do it. Here's the thing. If you can't find motivation for yourself to do that, look at your spouse, look at your kids, look at the people in your life that you've been entrusted, whether at work or friends, and let them motivate you. Because let me ask you, what would they say of you? What do the people in your life say of you? If you're going to deny a step towards Jesus practically, then let me ask, do you expect to look more like Jesus? And do the people in your life see that? You see, it's kind of like um, Francis Chan always introduced this thought, and I think it's great. Let me, let me kind of piggyback off of him for a second. I heard him teach one time and he said, you know, I went to my, uh, my daughter and I said, hey, I need you to clean your room. And after, afterwards, I went back and I double checked. How many of you ever put like expectations to your kids and you don't ever double check? No, you're going to check up, right? You're going to follow, right? You're going to follow through. So he said, I asked my daughter to clean a room and uh, I came up later and it wasn't clean. And she turned to me and she said, Hey, uh, I said, hey, did you clean your room? I'm looking at a mess. She goes, well, no. However, I thought about what you said, and it was really powerful. I was really inspired by what you said. And I had some friends over at the time when you said it, and we all sat around and talked about how important it would be for me to clean my room. We talked about how powerful that was. In fact... We all learned the Greek way to say, clean your room. We learned in the Hebrew how to say, clean your room. And we just looked at each other and we talked about it and we held hands. We even prayed on what it would be like if I were to clean my room. But did you clean your room? Nah. 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 
What do we say to Jesus when he tells us specifically what you're to do? And we go, nah. I have a Bible study on it. I'll get together with a group of friends and we'll pray on it. We'll even, uh, we'll even learn how to say it in Greek. But are you going to do what I asked you to do? Nah. Nah, I just, I don't, I just don't, I'm not feeling that. It's too hard. I don't want to do that. I mean, if that were what Jesus wanted from his church, then it would be okay. But do you think Jesus ever says anything to his church that he doesn't expect his church to be obedient in? Do you think Jesus just gave out the 10 suggestions? Right? Like, these are a good idea, but you don't have to follow them. No, no. Jesus looked at his children. He said, hey, I gave my life for you. Remember the splintering in my... Yes, I gave my life so that you could have life. And I know you better than anyone else. And here's the thing. I have a really important purpose for you. You keep chasing. You keep chasing your identity and purpose and the things that the world has for you. And it's temporal. You're never going to experience abundant life until you just do what I ask you to. Come alongside and trust me. And I tell you what I want you to do because I expect to see you do it because you can't save yourselves. You said you needed a savior. I'm telling you, you can't have me a savior unless I'm also Lord. That means I'm boss. So I'm going to tell you what I expect. And just like you tell your kids, you expect them to do it, right? You follow up. Well, hey, you're my, you're my kids and I love you. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever had your kids disappoint you? Hands raised. How many of you have ever given something to them, like a job, and they didn't do it, and it disappointed you? They disobeyed. Did you start hating them from that point on? All of a sudden, you're like, you don't live here anymore. This is the grace of Jesus. Nothing you do or don't do will ever cause him to love you more or less. He's not going to hate you because you're disobedient. I mean, you need to understand, obedience is the place where we get to engage with Jesus and join him in what he's doing. And we become like Jesus. This morning, it may start. By taking a practice step like fasting, giving up something to disrupt your routine. But I promise you, Jesus is disrupting the routine right now. I don't want to see the next few minutes be like business as usual. How many of you, God is speaking to you right now on an issue? Just right now. Just hands raised. Let, I know it's more than one person, so we'll, we'll just admit that. Okay? All right. So it's five of us. Great. It's going to be amazing. The church, we're counting on you five. Here's the thing. Whatever God is telling you right now, just respond to it. Whatever God is telling you to do right now, be bold enough to be like Jesus and go, I will willingly give up my life. I'll willingly leave. Who you told to do something, but I said, hey, I'll do a Bible study and I'll learn how to say it in a different language just to make you happy. But did you do what I asked? Well, no. Can we just be a church that says, I'll do whatever you say. Can we just be a church that says, whatever you say, you're God, and I'll do it. And so I'm going to sacrifice my time, my social equity. I'm going to sacrifice whatever I have to sacrifice to please you and make you smile rather than the smiles of those around me. I'm more about what you desire because, Jesus, you even prayed as you wept drops of blood in the garden, not 
my will, but the Father's will be done. This morning, whatever has to happen in here, maybe you're here and you go, I want to respond to the love of Jesus for the first time because I've never met anyone who would give their lives for me. There are staff members and prayer partners here who want to talk to you. They'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe you're here and you go, I'm a part of the church, but I've been consuming. I've not been producing the fruit of Jesus because I, if I'm honest, it's all about me. That's something to repent of. That's not okay. That's not okay to leave a place like this and go out and keep doing that. Why? Because that is, it, if, it would, if it would hurt your heart as a parent because your kids disrespected you that much, how much do you think it slaps Jesus in the face? And here's what I want to say. Jesus pointed out the heart of the leader here. If you're a prayer partner here, staff member, me. Jesus has been wrecking me with this. Before you turn to help someone else, will you be obedient to whatever God's calling you to do? See, we all come to work here. We come and go, Justin, you got a job, you gotta you gotta teach. Hey, look, I can't offer anyone anything unless I'm first to be willing to do whatever God says, despite how uncomfortable it makes me or uncomfortable. So here's the thing. I'm going to be available, but I've got some business to do with Jesus myself. I want to ask us to stand and ask the band to come back. And Father, I just ask that in the next few moments, no matter what you call us to do, may you find a people willing to do it. Jesus, I don't want to impress you with flowery language or long prayers that are empty. God, I want to be someone who simply says yes when you call. Same because, God, this world is crazy and it's crazy selfish and it's headed nowhere. It's headed toward destruction really fast. God, I don't know where this quote came from. No one can even pin it down. But I do know this, that the road to hell, the road to destruction was paved with good intentions. God, let us transform instead of just being inspired. Let us have behavior modification because we don't want to place our faith in our good intentions. We want to place our faith in what you call us to do. May your church be obedient in Jesus' name.